I love the book of Exodus for, for a number of reasons, but one reason is uh, we get a sense of the Israelites, and we get a sense of how God deals with them. Uh, after all, we, we know that they wandered the desert not because they lost or were lost or lost directions, but simply because they rejected God time and again. And today, in our first reading, we have one of those first rejections. Imagine, if you will, You've been in bondage, your people have been in bondage for 200 plus years. Uh, in the last years, the Egyptians have put your, your sons to death as soon as they were born. They've worked you to the bone, made you produce bricks that, uh, at, a, at a level that was unsustainable. And Moses is sent, there's the 10 plagues, all uh, signs that we can go into into depth later about how each of the plagues would have been a sign of the Egyptian gods being false or being dead, as uh, especially the turning of the River Nile into blood. That would have been a major, major death blow. They were led to the shores of the Red Sea. There they hear Pharaoh's chariots and charioteers coming after them. Moses parts the sea, you pass through it dry shod. And the sea closes in on the chariots and charioteers. And then you're led. And then you start to say, oh, were we back in Egypt with our flesh pots? Oh, we're, we're so hungry here. We started, they started looking at their bellies. And later, uh, after this episode, of course, God in this episode pr promises them to give them quail in the evening and man in the morning. They got so tired of the manna, they started grinding it up, as I can only imagine most of us would do. We find interesting ways to use the same ingredient over and over and over again, if that's all we have. I think of somebody who has been given too many eggs. They start to find unique ways to use those eggs, and you find, find them in weird places where you'd never thought an egg would go, but it does. And then they begin to complain again, Oh, were we back in Egypt with our cucumbers, our melons, and our leeks? Forget the fact that they were in slavery. Forget the fact that they were condemned to death, so many of them. Forget the fact that they were second-class citizens. Forget it all. Forget the fact that God has led them to this place of freedom. And there they're complaining that God is feeding us, but it's the same thing over and over and over again. Isn't this profoundly human, though? And that's why I like the book of Exodus. And we do it all the time ourselves, don't we? When God is providing for us, well, God, that isn't the way I want you to provide for me. I, I uh, heard a few years ago a facetious kind of little, little thing. Most of us want to serve God, but, but most of us only in an advisory capacity. We want to tell God what to do, how to feed us, how to nourish us. And God doesn't work that way. And today in this gospel passage, we have them coming for Jesus, looking for him, because they had their bellies filled, Jesus said. You're not looking for me for a sign. You're looking for more food. You're looking for something that's below. And today in our second reading, we have that. St. Paul telling us, you know, we're, we're looking for things below, not for things above. So he starts to change starts to encourage them to change their minds, to see the bread that comes down 
The bread that gives is given for eternal life. Oh, what sign can you do? <laughs> Again, advisory capacity. What sign can you do? And Jesus, I, I, if I would have been Jesus, I would have said, well, what do you mean what sign? I just fed 5,000 men, not including women and children, with five loaves and two fish. That wouldn't have been enough for just 12 of us. What do you mean what sign? He's been doing sign after sign, even in, in the Gospel of St. John. He's already multiplied or changed water into wine. He's multiplied the bread. He's healed the sick. What sign? And they begin to believe. What do we need to do? Believe in the one God has sent. And they don't even question that. But they want more. And so Jesus, when they ask for this bread always, says, I am the bread of life. Our uh, translation, I, don't, I haven't looked at the Missalette to see what that says, but our translation has a little error as far as I'm concerned. It's because this I am is a specific Greek formulation. <clears throat> Just maybe a little Greek lesson. Uh, uh, they don't always need the pronoun. If I went around and said, I'm hungry, you'd, you'd look at me like I'm possessed. But in Greek, that was perfectly good language because the pronoun is assumed in the verb. So St. John could have simply written a me, which is, is, am. A me, the bread of life. But instead, St. John puts the pronoun ego. And what that does is it heightens. As I myself am the bread of life. But for somebody with a Jewish background, they would have heard something else too. If you remember the story of Moses and the burning bush, when Moses says, well, who should I say is sending me to them to free them? I am who I am. Jesus here is in identifying himself with God, rightfully, and he's saying he is the bread of life. Now John's gospel contains a few of these ego amis. I am the sheep gate, I am the good shepherd, I am the light of the world. Each one in its own way is a cause for reflection. But Jesus, unlike the others, isn't talking metaphorical only here. He's not like a sheep gate, or he is like a sheep gate, I should say. But here, when they question, and we'll hear that the next few weeks with a little reprieve because of the Feast of the Assumption in two weeks, each time they question, he gets stronger, and it's, he's adamant, it's real. I am the bread of life. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot have life within me. He's being literal here. And we know, as I mentioned last week, St. John's Gospel doesn't contain the giving of the Eucharist at the Last Supper. Rather, St. John records what the Eucharist calls us toward, service. As we see Jesus Christ, our Lord and God, bend down and wash the feet of the apostles, so too we are called to serve one another. This is what the Eucharist calls us to. And for 1,500 years, the Church always understood this to be literal. When we come to the Eucharist, we receive Jesus Christ, not a symbol, but Jesus Christ himself, body, blood, soul, and divinity. For 1,500 years, it was unquestioned, except among, among the heretics. 
And shortly, uh, I think it was 1530s, something like that, where it started to be debated. Well, that can't be real. But it is. Do we have the faith to understand that when we come to every Mass, we see Jesus Christ again, we receive him? For 1,500 years, this was, well, and it continues in the church, of course. Unfortunately, though, so many disbelieve. Don't quote me on the stat, but it's like 66% of Catholics do not believe the Eucharist is the real presence of Jesus Christ. I find that horrifying. And we might say, well, like the Israelites, we're tired of this wretched food. We want more. And I hear it all the time. People are leaving the church. Well, you know, that homilist, ah, he's horrible. Yes, I know I'm horrible. You're not here for me. You're here for Jesus, I hope. Or I, I can point out and tease. Oh, that music is always the same music. Same over and over. Week after week, we sing the same song. Or it's, I'm always sitting next to the same people. And, and they're all hypocrites. And all, you know, we'll talk about the one talking. Or I'm tired of this, or I'm tired of that. At one point, I had somebody that was going on and on. And I said, wait a minute. What do you think heaven is going to be like? According to the scripture, we're going to be with God for all eternity, with all the saints. We're going to see the same people over and over and over for eternity. We're going to be singing the same song for eternity. We're going to be eating and enjoying the, the banquet of life, eternal life for eternity. The same food over and over. If you're sick of Mass, you're really going to get sick of heaven. That lasts a lot longer than an hour on Sunday morning. What we have here at this Mass is a foretaste of eternal life. Our attitude, perhaps, towards it is our attitude towards eternity. The next few weeks, I encourage us, as we hear this Bread of Life discourse, to ask ourselves, do I really believe that Jesus is the Bread of Life? Do I really believe that he is God and has made this soul? That at that Last Supper, he took bread and he transformed it into his body and blood. That he transformed it so that we can receive him time and again. And that that Eucharist then transforms us. It makes us members in the body of Christ. And it makes us the body of Christ, the church. St. John Paul II was adamant in his last encyclical, I think it was his last, on the Eucharist. In fact, in the very title, the Eucharist makes the church. Jesus Christ in the Eucharist makes us the church. If we're tired of the Eucharist, if we ignore what the Eucharist really is, we miss the point. And we miss everything. We miss even the foretaste of eternity. Jesus Christ is the bread of life. Whoever eats him will never hunger. Whoever believes in him will never thirst.